If you look at like Carlin, for example, they weaponize his jokes for whatever message they they have because his jokes are so complex. It's like the Bible. Yeah, you can it's cut like, it out. It's like the Bible. They're just taking Carlin and being like, this is what it meant. I'm like, I don't <laughs> But at the same time, Carlin contradicted himself like all comics do. Yes. Like he'll do stuff where you're like, I, a comic should never do this. And then he does that. Hicks did that. A lot of the greatest yeah. comics do that. So, I mean, we all- And certainly Breyer. Everyone did. Yeah. I mean- all the best comics do and rock that. and rock because when you put out that much material you're gonna contradict yes, yourself absolutely welcome back to working it out that's the voice of sam Marill. sam Marill, i saw him so at the comic show this week killing one of the best comics who i know and we have this great chat today this is a this is an episode we recorded it in the fall and uh, I mean, he is just—he's just one of these people. He's a star. He's a star on the rise in comedy. Um, I'm just looking at his upcoming dates. He's playing the Columbus Theater in Providence, which I love. He's playing the Northampton, Massachusetts Academy of Music, which I love. Uh, he's playing the Higher Ground in Burlington, the Egg in Albany. Uh, check out samarill.com. Great comic. We kick around jokes today. Kick around ideas. Um, Oh, a couple things I want to mention. If you don't know already, I'm doing The Old Man and The Pool, uh, my final shows in uh, Scotland, Edinburgh, Scotland, at the Fringe Festival, as well as in London. I'm going to do four weeks on the West End, in the West End, uh, at the Wyndham Theater. Gorgeous, gorgeous theater. And then I just announced a fifth and sixth show in Boston for a show that is all new material. Uh, my new hour in the night is called Christmas Parmesan because I'm going to give it a little sprinkling of some Christmas stories to get everyone in the Christmas spirit. Those shows are in December. It's all on birdbigs.com. The first way to find out about it is uh, sign up for the mailing list, old-fashioned old email email list. I have some working it out shows in the fall in some places where people, where shows sell out really fast. So join the mailing list for that. Um, and enjoy my conversation with the great Sam Morrell. It's funny because I know you like Geraldo because on your podcast, when I look at uh, your vi- uh, at the behind you, you have a, a photo of Geraldo. We have a wall of death behind us. It's like <laughs> yes. Geraldo, Patrice, uh, Pryor. Yeah. Uh, we got to get Joan Rivers up there, I just realized. There's like... Comics who we think are like legends. Who, yeah. Yeah, I loved Greg Giraldo. I thought he was a great comic. And uh, and I loved how he did social commentary, where it was like kind of for everybody. Yes. Well, it's funny because it's like, like, I think you, you know, I was friends with Giraldo. It was devastating to lose him. And it's like, I think you and he have a lot in common because you, both of you, you, you seem like you might be tough to interface with. Really? And then you're nice. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, like I think, like you see, it's just you, my have, you have a tough exterior. I look like a villain. You think that's what it, it is? Yeah, yeah, probably. I don't know. Um, no, I, I, I've heard that, but then I've never. Other people have said that to me that they expect me to not be as nice as I am. No, but I think that's part of that's part of what's working for you with your comedy. It's like <laughs> your opening joke in your Netflix special is just as. But the, it, the cop teaches yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I say. Uh, uh, you know, cops, that's, that's a tough job. You you got all this power and you get, you know, paid less than a teacher sometimes. Can you imagine risking getting shot and you only make a little bit more than a cop? 
So good. Little little bait and switch. So good. Yeah. It's so good. So Thanks. like that joke is an example of like I think, I think your look that you have like a tough exterior. People are thinking you're gonna go pro cop and then you go pro teacher, but then you split the difference. But then I, but then I go you back split the and difference. I shit on teachers. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I was kind of like, that's I wanted to. I like to do that where you set the tone for a special where you kind of like I'm gonna make fun of everybody. None of it's malicious. I mean, I also like opening with a topic that might push people away. Yeah. And then on the first joke brings it back. I did another special. First six or seven minutes was like me too jokes. That were from, I, I thought, a different perspective than I had heard in clubs. Yeah. So I was like, I'll grab people and they'll either be like, oh, this guy's for me or this guy's totally not for me. Get rid of him immediately. Yeah. You know? That's interesting. Yeah, that that seems, that seems I mean, Attell's like that, certainly. Stan hopes like that, for sure. Yeah. Like, I've seen- I remember listening to, I mean, all you guys, I watched all you guys, like, half hours growing up, you know, like you, obviously, Hedberg, Todd Barry- uh, you know, all, you know, Patrice, Geraldo, uh, Burr, everyone, like a, literally everyone from that class you watch cause you want to learn and you, and you enjoy it. Like you just, you know, we do this most of us cause we love it. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, Stanhope, I remember that album, uh, something to take the edge off. Yeah. I mean, that was like, I remember hearing that and being like, this is like fucking just biting. I loved it. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting watching yourself cause you're like, cause I'm like, Cause you you split you know you split the crowd like almost with every joke, and I was thinking like, do you get more complaints or if you get complaints at all, <laughs> you get more you get people, liberals or conservatives complaining more about your jokes. It goes back and forth. That's yeah, the, that's the funny thing. Right now it's conservatives, uh, but what do they say? Uh, I had a trans joke go viral. Yeah, which. Uh, is pro-trans. So I think it got a lot of like, you know, oh, like all these, you know, very woke people are like, finally a comedian, you know? <laughs> right, I'm right, like, right, I'm right. like, I don't want this responsibility. <laughs> right, you right, know, right. like they're like, they're like, oh, I'm like, I, we love this guy. I'm like, today you love me. Yeah, Tomorrow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, let's settle down. Uh, so I'm, I, they're like, finally, and then they're like trashing Gervais and Chappelle. And I'm like, yeah, I like those guys. I mean, yeah. That's not what I'm saying. I'm yeah. not taking a shot at them. I'm doing... I'm doing a joke I think is funny. That's like, you you follow the joke. And I'm like, w- w- this is, it was a real conversation I had with a friend about the swimmer, Leah Thomas. It was, uh, I I kind of zinged him because he was really outraged about it in the joke because I'm like, you don't give a shit. Right. The right, whole thing right, is right. like, your outrage is to me, it's like, that was a joke is that people got mad. I had one guy get mad at me about Leah Thomas. This is a different guy being like, this is messed up. Whatever you think, doesn't matter, Right. And then he goes, I said, what do you think about the Britney Griner thing? And he was like, who? And I was like, then you don't give a shit about women's sports. Oh, that's sports. funny. It's an odd moment in time in relation to provocative comedians because a lot of people get outraged. And you and I want to say, like, even with the Gervais or, or Chappelle stuff or, or your stuff or, or any number of comics who <laughs> some of the stuff I like and some of it I don't, I go like, yeah. well, it's provocative. That's how comedy works. So. I don't know what to say when people are outraged. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, you can get outraged, but like that's actually what the art form is. It's provocative. It's intended to provoke. I also don't look at my comedy as provocative, but that maybe that to me. I look at the subjects as maybe being provocative, but then the actual jokes I think are escapist. I think I'm actually like I'm torn with these jokes through, you know, Atlanta, Alabama, yeah. Texas, Kansas, uh, Seattle, yeah. San Francisco. Like, I'm hitting every, like, 
I want to make sure these jokes hit in every marketer. I kind of drop them. Yeah. So if they're consi- if they're three hundred hitters, if they're a consistent joke, they're in the act. So I don't I don't really see these any of these jokes upsetting people when I tell them. So that that's why I'm shocked when they upset people. But it doesn't happen often anymore. It's funny because you you and I both are like we just tore like crazy. And it's the, the best. Yeah, it's the best. And the thing that people have said to me for years that's completely wrong is they'll be like, it must be it must be hard when you go to the Midwest. Like, no, it's great. It must be hard when you go to the South. No, it's great. Like yeah. every part of this country is pretty great. You've been in Brooklyn too long. Some people are saying that too. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. New Yorkers will say that. They're like, you, yeah. go, to, you go to Alabama and you're like, yeah, dude. Yeah. And look, uh, some of those cities surprise you. Like even me going in, I'm like, are they going to like me? I mean, I'm I'm a New York, but then you also realize like you're foreign to them. It's exciting. Like a New York Jew in Huntsville, Alabama, they're yeah. like, let's go. It's, you know, so no, it's, totally. It's I had that great. with Fargo once. I was on tour, and even I was like, this is going to be a hard one. And I was like, this is one of the best shows I've ever had in my life. You could have been on that show, Fargo. <laughs> yeah, you could have been. No, I feel like you could have. You're a good actor. I feel like I you could have been on that show. You too. We're both on billions. I'm in it for like a second. You have like a good arc. <laughs> You have a good, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's a good character. No, I was lucky. They, I was lucky. They compliments the man, Levine. Those guys. Uh, oh the yeah, best. it's so funny. You and I, you and I also have this thing in common, which is uh, during the pandemic, there's a lot of. You, well, first of all, we have the same age, and Mike Berkowitz, shark. He's a shark. He's really tough. He, he and I, he and Geraldo and I were his first clients like 20 years ago. Yeah. So we've been together forever. Burke and I are the same age, but he's your he's your agent. But he has this observation about the pandemic about comedy, which is like some comics showed up, and some of them were like, "Oh, look, it's a vacation." Oh yeah, and like you and I both showed up. It's like I created this podcast. I went. I did outdoor shows. I did virtual shows. Blah, blah, blah. You did. You did a special on, out, roofs, on a yeah. roof. Yeah, it looks funny. It's it's amazing how things change because I remember do, taping on roofs and. You know, I was like, man, am I going to get shit? These people aren't wearing masks. Are people going to kill me? So I, I asked for one of the last shows, I was like, can you guys just mask up so I don't look awful in this? That's and then, of funny. course, now you just, they're like, why? People watch it, like, why are they masked outdoors? You yeah. know? But uh, yeah, no, that was, there was nowhere to perform in New York. So I was just, I was like, I'll just do shows on rooftops. And uh, my friend Matt Salakou showed up and he brought his friend Dominic Mull who brought a, a drone cam. So there's, we're literally in like Murray Hill and there's like a, you just see a, a, a camera start flying over my head. I'm like, this is fucking weird. <laughs> and then certain areas are like, we can't use the drone. It's a no fly zone. I'm like, all right. Oh my God. We're going to Bushwick, Williamsburg, East Village, West Village, like everywhere, we, Hell's Kitchen, wherever. If they had a roof, I'd be like, yeah, I'll come through. Just get a mic and an amp. That's and how I, that's how I feel. Like I spent so much of the pandemic performing at that Circle Hotel in Connecticut. Did oh. you do that gig in Fairfield? I did one of those. I think it's yeah, like I think the we, yard. I think we talked it's literally the, the yard. Yeah, I did that one. Yeah, yeah. You, oh, the, you were the, the one. Hotel? You were the one. Yeah, yeah. You were the one who convinced me to do virtual. The shows. green room was like a motel room where you're expecting <laughs> yeah. Javier, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, Javier Bardem with an air gun to come in and <laughs> kill you. I remember that gig. That was uh, that was a cool. That was Emilio ran that. I remember that was a great gig. The crowd was great. I love that place. And then, and then you were the one who convinced me to do virtual shows. I hated those. That I know. I that was. But all you were we like. Had. But you were like. Yeah. I mean, it was all we had. And you were like. You were like. It's fine. You're like. You're like. 
It's a reaction. You you connect. I looked at it as like, is there no gym in your hotel? Okay, I'll do a few push-ups in my room. That's like how I looked at those, right? It's not real comedy, but it's like, I, you're saying the jokes, right? Yeah. I mean, you have a friend who you'll, like, you do stories, so I'm assuming you have a friend who you call up and you're like, can I just talk through this, right? Oh, yeah, a lot of people. So, I mean, that's what that was to me. It was like, it's another one of those. It, yeah. I mean, that's the premise of this whole show in the first place, this podcast is like, is like, the thing that happens before you put a joke on stage is you run it by comedian friends. Yeah. And in a way, like you're saying, in a way, that's like a Zoom. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I have friends, I have comic friends, I'll, sometimes Ron on Hirschberg and I will Zoom on the road. We're both in, you know, our hotel rooms just like, hey, can I just talk this bit out to you? And yeah. back and forth. And it's like, it's valuable, man. It yeah. really is. One of the things I loved about your Netflix special, first of all, you're one of the only people who has, a, who has Netflix specials and YouTube specials. Yeah, well, I'm sure that that's going to change. That's right. Gonna, I mean, Chris, did Chris's stuff? No, I guess he didn't do a YouTube one. But the other people, that'll change for sure. Norman. It's, it's this huge inflection point right now where people are like, you talk to YouTube special people and they're like, I'd never do anything on Netflix. You talk to Netflix people, they're like, you can't beat Netflix specials. How do you feel about it? It was, you know, you get stuff from both. I think the YouTube one was great for me at the time because everyone passed, so it was like a no-brainer. And yeah. It was, and it was, uh, it came out in February of 2020. Yeah, that's and nice. You're, you're putting that out to tour, and you're like, well, that's not happening, yeah. but everyone's at home, so people are watching it. So as long as I kept the momentum going in the pandemic, I figured that would that would help. But uh, Netflix is is great too. There. Those were the places I wanted to be. I was like, if if Netflix passes, I'm not even going to pitch it to HBO or Amazon or anything. Not that those aren't good. I'm sure Amazon is working on it. But I looked at their interface and I'm like, why does every special look the same? It's a mess. It's a mess. And I'm like, so that 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 didn't look good to me. HBO didn't seem to promote it properly. Right. They they pick good stuff and they make good stuff. But and I think their shows are probably the best of any streamer. But yeah. Uh, Netflix for stand-up, they just kind of, they figured out that algorithm to to feed you to people. And, and YouTube was the same way. A lot of people discovered me. And, and I approached it the same way as a YouTube special, like open tight. I cut a lot of jokes from this special because I was like, I, that's a fine joke. I want every joke in the first five minutes to really grab people yeah. so they don't shut it off. Um, so many of your jokes are like riding the edge, finding the line. It's like, wh when have have you found... A joke where you go, eh, it's too much. Yeah, of course. Yeah, a lot of times I'll say like, oh, that's not, I can't, none really jump out at me because I drop them. But yeah, sometimes I'll be like, I don't like what I'm, this isn't funny enough to say what I'm saying in this joke. It's yeah. got to be really funny. And uh, yeah, I, I, it, it is a tough line to walk sometimes where you, you don't want to pander to people. You don't want them to right. like, be getting necessarily what they want entirely. My favorite jokes were always Chris Rock being like, uh, saying something where the crowd was just like, oh, how dare you? Yeah. And then he flipped it and they're like, wow. Yeah. Like, those were awesome jokes that we thought, you know? So that line is very difficult sometimes whenever someone's like, oh, you're, you know, you tell these offensive jokes, that must be really easy. And you're like, actually, it's like, it's a challenge to do it in a way where I don't feel bad about myself. Well, the thing that's so odd is like my like one of my favorite comics of all time is Doug Stanhope, and like I have to say like if if you you know if you ask me how much of his how many of his jokes I agree with the joke, it's so few. Well, when did that even become 
part of like even saying I don't agree with that joke. You shouldn't be at my shows then. I yeah. don't want people who agree or disagree with with jokes. Like laugh or don't laugh. That's really what comedy is. It's like, a very strange idea. The idea of agreeing with a joke because I don't think that that is the goal ever. Yeah, I mean that's. That's someone who doesn't understand comedy. That's someone, it's like, that's their version of comedy, but they don't understand what we're doing. But I almost feel like if I'm unpacking it, like, I almost feel like it's in the universe of like the Daily Show got people in that headspace. Well, Jon Stewart was great. Let me start start with that. But he heard us all because he was so good at what he did. Yeah. That then comedians felt this social responsibility so when so many people look up to like think Animal House was a great movie. Think about how many bad movies came from Animal yeah. House. There was like you know <laughs> a million terrible movies. When something is that done that good, they just start copying that prototype, right? Yes. Like they made forty different versions of The Daily Show after The Daily Show, and like when you start doing that, it's like when you just make sequels to movies. They're not original anymore. You took what was good about that and you kind of destroyed it. It wasn't just that the format was good. Jon Stewart was great. Yeah. That was the problem. So, yeah, I do think a lot of comics felt like it was important. Like, do you think, I don't know, if there was Twitter in like the 80s, do you think Eddie Murphy would have been like, here's where I stand on Roe v. Wade? Right. Or do you think he would have just been going up there being hilarious, you know? Right. I do think there's a there's a social responsibility that comics feel now that I don't know if they necessarily have to be weighing in on every single uh, issue on CNN or Fox News. Yeah, I mean, some comics should, but do you think like Hedberg would be doing that? No. It's, it's weird, right? No. And I do think Jon Stewart switched it a little bit where a lot of comics felt they needed to weigh in. No, I think so too. And I think like if you look at like Carlin, for example, the documentary that Judd and Von Figlio made is so good. I love it. People haven't seen the Carlin documentary. It's so good. I think it's on HBO. And it's interesting because you're like, people use his jokes on the left and the right. I know. They weaponize his jokes for whatever message they they have because his jokes are so complex. It's like the Bible. Yeah, you can cut it out. It's like the Bible. They're just taking Carlin and being like, this is what it meant. I'm like, I don't (laughs) know. But at the same time, Carlin contradicted himself like all comics do yes like he'll do stuff where you're like a comic should never do this and then he does that hicks did that a lot of the greatest comics do that so i mean we all and certainly Breyer, everyone did yeah i mean all the best comics and rock and rock because when you put out that much material you're gonna contradict yourself absolutely so it is to me a sign of a great comedian when the right and the left is kind of like being like this is great yes So, so if anything it's really just how great Carlin was that he can kind of unite. I mean, maybe not unite because people are using it as like clickbait, but like in that room, they're united. Yeah. At that show, they're all laughing together. And that's like why I want to be a comic. It's like, I I didn't get in here to be like, this is where I stand on a nuclear proliferation. No, I want to get up there and be like, hey, here's a joke. I hope you all fucking laugh. That's that's the plan, you know? You must be obsessed with jokes though, because it's like, I think similar to me, like during the pandemic, you were just like, I have to do this. I was miserable. I, I really, uh, yeah, I, I had like a routine. I knew I was lucky. I, de- I never, there was a moment where I was like, I'm not incredibly fortunate. But yeah, when, when, the, when COVID hit, I was like, oh yeah, my routine is fucked. I realized how much of that I relied on for mental health and yeah. for getting up. I had no idea how much a part of my... Per, my my personal existence, the comedy seller was, 
until everything shut down. And then I was it's like, the best. oh my God. Yeah. I, you know what I had? I've never admitted this. I was like, I think these people are my friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, well, there's people that you don't like, people like us who are like, we don't talk a ton, but like, I'm no. happy to see you at the cellar. Totally. It's like, that's how I felt about so many people there. And not to mention, so much of our stimulus is like, doing shit that's where yeah. the bits come from i go to the coffee shop someone bumps me we have a weird encounter i'm like that's a bit we lost that during COVID. No, i know they didn't lose it in texas and florida <laughs> i mean you go there and you're like did you guys do you guys know what happened in the other states So we do this thing called the slow round, and it's sort of just like based on memories. So like, uh, do you have a memory on a loop from your childhood that you think about a lot? Memories from childhood? Probably, it's all like basketball related. It's all like playing basketball. Yeah? I remember uh, crying in the, in, the, in the playoffs because I fouled out. I remember that. Oh, I think wow. about that a lot. In I, high school? Yeah, I cried. Did you play yeah. seriously in high school? We, our, te- our school sucked. Oh, okay. So I was on the team, but we sucked. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember fouling out and I cried in the game and I was so mad. I was just oh like- Oh my gosh. Yeah, I remember just being like, that's it. That's it for me. You, you think in high school, everything matters? Yes. So you're like, this sporting event in high school will, will <laughs> dictate the rest. We're a terrible team. This will dictate the rest of my life. And uh, yeah, I remember I was so bummed. What is uh what's the best piece of advice someone's given you that you used? Um honestly to not get bitter in comedy. Like cuz there there are you are going to get passed over so much especially in the early years. Constantly. I remember, yeah. <laughs> I remember Bill Burr once said to me he goes don't ever get fucking bitter. Oh that's that interesting. Shit, that follows you. That stink follows you like a fish. Oh wow. And people will smell it on you. I was like, "Oh that's good advice." And then and then he goes, "You think they wanted another balding redhead?" Oh my god. <laughs> That's a riot. <laughs> and uh, he goes, don't get bitter. You're going to be all right. I can, and he was like very encouraging. But uh, I was getting pretty, at a certain point I was getting like, I wasn't like bitter, but I was kind of like, what else do I have to do? It was one of those things where I was like, what right. do I have to do? Right. Uh, so that was advice that I really was like, yeah, that's good. Don't get bitter. And it's not, you see comics that get bitter and get, uh, it hurts their comedy a lot. Yeah. And it hurts their Socially, it hurts them too because people don't, no one wants to be around that energy. Yeah. No one wants to bring a bitter comic to open for them on the road. Oh my God. Right? So that was all like very. That's really good advice. It was really good advice. I mean, he's a wise man. So uh, yeah, that was helpful. Um, I heard a tell one say to another comic who was complaining about his career, Tell goes, get funnier. Oh my <laughs> And he didn't God. mean it like, you're That's not funny. so funny. It was a comic he respected. I know it was like for a fact oh the gosh. comic that Dave loved, but he said it in a way where he was like, what else are you gonna do? That's really good. So those were the two that stick in my head for for comedy advice, at least, because- um, that's It's funny, because that's one of the, the best pieces of advice artistically I've ever gotten was, I've worked with Ira Glass on a lot of things over the years, shows and movies and stuff, and they at This American Life, they have a thing, they're marking up your script, they write DB, and it means do better. Wow. And it's literally, it's not a criticism, it's just like, yeah, just do better. Just like this, but just better. Yeah. And it's like, it's actually like, always true, kind of. Yeah, you, you can, can always get funnier. I mean, that's the thing too, is like, Dave is such a short swing with all his jokes, they're just so tight. So uh, he's never saying it to be, he's always 
so generous with feedback and, and, you know, supporting comics. So you never feel that it's hurtful the way he's, you know, saying this stuff. So he's so good. Uh, but he just, he's just such a great writer that even his feedback is so like, boom, boom, get, 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 get funnier. This is another slow round question. Can you think of a moment in your life where in hindsight it changed your life, but in, at the time you didn't realize that? There was a, <laughs> there was a few. I mean, there was one I remember. There was a kid I knew growing up, growing up, who killed himself, and that really made me be like, "Oh shit, I'm not doing cocaine ever." Oh, he was wow. like a total cokehead, and he jumped out of a thirty story uh, building. And I was in like eighth grade, and I was like, "I will never do drugs." I mean, I dr- I drank all the time, but like hard drugs, I never was like, "I will never touch." And I probably would have done, yeah, drugs if not for that. Wow. And I, had, and I had a coach in high school who was so cool. And he, he literally had George Carlin's voice. So everything he said sounded hilarious, yeah. you know? And he was like, he was like, if you ever do fucking coke, I'll kill you. Oh my gosh. And uh, he was the man. I mean, I love Coach Sadowski. Yeah. Uh, the best, so. It's amazing how these people along the way, yeah, are like coaches and teachers, like have like this massive impact on you. He was so funny and cool. And uh, yeah, he's like, he was fucking hilarious. Like he would, he would joke around with us, you know, he was, yeah. Those people that make you feel like you could just be yourself growing up or like, that's, that's everything. Was there a group uh, growing up that wouldn't let you in? that You (sighs) want to be a part of? I remember, not really, but I remember, and thank God they didn't. But I remember when I was at Tulane for like, not very long, I was in New Orleans, uh, freshman for Katrina, great timing. (laughs) Uh, I remember trying, like, not trying to pledge a frat, but, like, seeing, like, I didn't know who I was. I was yeah. doing stand-up already, but I wasn't, like, who, who am I? Where do I fit in? I remember, like, going to a couple, there was, like, the cool frat. Yeah. And they were kind of, like, eh, you know? And then I went to, like, the deadbeat frat, and they yeah. were, like, this is our guy, you know? I was, like, these were, like, the bad kids. <laughs> and they wanted me in, and I was kind of, like, I'm not one of these guys. Oh, that's interesting. So, but if the cool guys wanted me, maybe I would have been like, maybe I should do this. But then looking back, I'm like, that's not who I am. It was, yeah. you don't know who you are, you're a kid. So them not really embracing me was like great because I got out of there. Yeah, did you leave college? I finished in the city, but I uh, I wanted to leave college. My mom was like, if you drop out, we'll fucking kill you. Because your family, you're like, you, you have, your family's like lawyers and yeah. like business folks. Like, I know. Like, <laughs> are you disappointed? Like, I, cause I I'm, was for a long time. Oh, I, really? I mean, they didn't openly say it, but I think my mom and dad, my, my mom is an artist and my mom's very, uh, like, like loves that I, you know, use that part of my brain. But I think also it's like, my mom wants me to be writing like for shouts and murmurs. She yeah. doesn't want me to be doing like That's really funny. clubs and she doesn't want me to be doing the St. <laughs> Louis funny bone. She wants yeah, me yeah, to be, yeah. you know, so, uh, I think there was a period, I mean, I always think my dad would like, I remember this was like my dad's idea of success. He was like, you got written about in the New York Times. I was like, they said I was had a bad set. And he oh was like, God, I know, but it's the time. So so he thought that was cool. Where do you want to go with the whole thing? It's like you have, seemingly you have like everything you'd want. Your audience comes to see you. Yeah. It won't, they, you know, it's not like a general comedy audience. It's like a Samuel comedy audience i'm grateful for that i mean i remember the, the you know the funny bones of being papered and they're just kind of I, I think about it all the time like man it was so hard to write hours when like to turn over material when they're like who are you oh my god uh, free tickets so, brutal so i'm grateful for that i i don't know where i want to go i think uh i have ideas for shows i have ideas for other things i love stand i always want stand up to be the thing it's so funny saying 
when you're doing papered shows, just so people know what that means. It's yeah. like when you're starting out, a lot of times you'll you can't draw an audience, and so you'll go to a town where they've basically called people and said, "You won tickets," <laughs> which is hilarious and not talked about that much. Like, <laughs> congratulations, you've won tickets yeah. to a comedy show, yeah. and it's to someone you probably haven't heard of, and then. Yeah. You show up and they make their money on drinks and food anyway, yeah. and there's a drink minimum, and that's like, and that's what's called for comics like paper, a papered room. It's paper. I was, I was banned from the Funny Bone for a while because I remember I just walked a lot of people. I don't know what I. My agent called me. She's like, "What did you do?" And I like was like, "People walked out of your yeah, shows. they just yeah. all left." And I, and she would call me like, "What did you what do?" Did and you I was do? like, "My act." What do you mean? What did I do? <laughs> they just didn't like me. It's not like I like had a meltdown. It just went badly. I was like, it's a mall in Syracuse. This isn't where I saw myself doing this either. But, you know. Uh, what did you do? Yeah. Oh, I had a few of those incidents, like, where the clubs were just like, you're gone forever. And uh, I think what's hard about papered shows is fundamental. And it exists everywhere. It exists on Broadway. It exists, sure. You know, there's all different kinds of places where the, where people didn't pay for the ticket for whatever right. reason. And they need to fill the room. They need to... You know, fill out the room. There needs to be an audience for there to be a show, basically. Right. But fundamentally, <laughs> it's the worst, as a performer, it's the worst existence because you're performing for people who don't want to see you. You're performing yeah. for people who have a general sense that they wanted to see a stand-up comedian. I know. Think about how shitty your general sense of a stand-up comedian kind of is. It's a great point. Yeah, it's... Uh I remember handing out flyers and stuff. You know, you you try to hand you know get people to go see your shows in New York and be like, "Hey, comedy tonight, comedy!" And they yeah. and they'd be like, "Oh, this is a good lineup." Be like, "Great lineup, great lineup." Yeah. And, then, and then they're in the room and you go on first, and they're like, "This piece of shit, dude." Yeah. You know, I mean, that's so you did a, that when you're starting out, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, but uh, those papered shows, they're terrible. Well, it's funny because you in your special, you engage with the audience like a lot. I cut like, a lot of oh, that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, because I, I only was like, only use crowd work if it weaves into a joke. I don't know. No, wanna, it's amazing yeah. how it's seamless. You go yeah. in and out, you go into the crowd, you come out into a bit. And it's like, I was just thinking when I was watching, I was like, is, are all of your shows like that? I like to talk to them just so it isn't, so the rhythm of the jokes don't get too, uh, I want to say predictable, but if they, they don't get too. They can, I think it can bore you. The, the right. where you're like, ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. like that. I remember Rodney would always do Rodney Dangerfield would always do crowd work in the middle. You know, yeah. Like, like, all right, where are you from? You know, and in yeah. the middle of the set, and you're like, oh, that's I, why is he doing that? And I was like, he's doing that because of the jokes. Yes. So, yeah, I, I do crowd work a good amount, uh, just to just to show them that you have that. Just to be like, yeah, hey, this isn't like, you know. I can I can do this too. I want to make the show special for you guys. You yeah. guys came out. I think it makes it feel like you put a little extra thought. And I'll try to riff on the city I'm in too. Um, have you ever had a heckler incident where like, because you, it's almost like you're soliciting people to interact. And it's like, does that ever go too far? Yeah, sure. But also people say to me, like you post a lot of these weird crowd work things. Does that, you know, does that make your audience too rowdy? Do they, yeah. do they try to interrupt jokes? It happens. It's very rare. The audiences that come to see me are very well behaved, unless it's in Florida. Then they're animals. 
this is like the working it out section of the show. We throw around stuff from the notebook. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I'm actually recently calling it, newly calling it from the notebook because I want comics to know these aren't done. These are no. these are just thoughts. I wrote this down today, which is I was at a coffee shop with a painting on the wall that said resist hate. And I thought that's cool, but then they didn't have sugar. And I was like, <laughs> well, this is where it starts. Yeah. It starts local. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, resist hate. That is hilarious that people write that too. I know. Resist. That doesn't even sound like don't hate. <laughs> right? Like don't hate makes more sense. But resist, you're is like, that wrong of a, just try. Stance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like try not to hate. I feel like you have a, in this special, you, don't you have like a, like a, like either a coffee shop or something, some place that has like a virtue a signaling guy, A guy's thing. wearing a shirt that says fuck racism. Oh, yes, and I go, right. problem solved. You did <laughs> problem it. Problem yeah. solved. I say, I say I, the joke is I say, everyone's got to wear their obvious beliefs in their shirt now. I say, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go into my friend's, uh, birthday and a shirt that says against baby rape. Oh, and he was like, why are you wearing that? And I was like, are you for baby rape? That was a joke. Uh, oh, so it's like, gosh. it doesn't make, I mean, I, I saw it on Twitter. A guy had an anti-human trafficking thing. Yeah. And it's like, do we have to announce this shit? Yeah. Can't we just, uh, can't we just go? I assume. <laughs> can't, can it be the I honor system at yeah. some point? <laughs> I assume you're against it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, you know what is another angle for you? It's like, are people bringing their hate to coffee yes, shops? Yes, yes. Are people, is that like a recurring problem you have? Yeah. Where someone's walking in, uh, he goes, I'll have a, a tall mocha and also fucking juice, right? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I don't know, something like that. But like the idea that, uh, I don't think that's where they're bringing, maybe the post office should have that. yeah. A coffee shop? That's really funny. I don't know. That the post office angle is good. That could be something. Yeah, right. Like, where else would you put it? Um, who's, who's bringing their hate to the coffee shop? Yeah. The uh, what do you have in your notebook? You I, have I, mean? a, I have a few things. Well, I I have my notebook, but I I screenshot some emails so I could look through stuff because I. Let me see what what I are I your habits with with jotting stuff down? Like, what Mitch Hedberg has that great joke about like. He has to, he'll, he's lying in bed and, and he'll think of a joke and he has to decide oh, yeah. whether the joke is good enough for him to get out of bed. Yeah, I have to con- or I have to convince myself that what I thought of wasn't that funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have my notepad and I have my phone. And I have like, all right, here's an angle I had. I was reading that Elon Musk had eight kids and I was like, man, I think that's where the ultra rich and the ultra poor kind of intersect is they'll both come in anything. <laughs> I think like... <laughs> I need like a better thing after this. But I think for like rich people, you're like, well, you know, I'm rich. It'll be fine. And poor people are like, my life is fucked anyway. I'll just, I can't afford one kid. I'll have 12. That's really funny. It needs more though. It's not. It, it's well, something. it's funny because it's actually like, <laughs> it's almost like a think piece. <laughs> it's like a borderline. Like it's a, it's like a pretty true. It's got a lot of truth. It's a sociology it. statement rather than a it. joke. I, there is something to that though. I like, like. It's not a joke, but it's like there is something to people being like, I can afford to have unlimited kids. It is luxury. You know what I mean? Yeah. People are like, yeah, someone will raise the kids. <laughs> someone will raise them. <laughs> That's a funny line. Yeah, someone will, someone, in either case, they're like, someone will do this. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's funny. Someone, yeah. It's like I can afford, yeah. It's like if you have a staff, if you have a staff of 200 people, you're yeah. like, well, I think Bob can do it. But then if you're poor, you're kind of just like, I'll just leave or something. Oh I don't God. know. <laughs> I don't know. What's the, what's the move? <laughs> I'll just move on to the next family. Oh my yeah. gosh. I don't know. 
I don't know. I like that though. It's great. Something. It's, I'm, you know what's good about this podcast? I'm gonna like listen at the end yeah. to see where we need like notes. I had um what else? Um, I saw a guy in the West Village on a leash, like he was in full bondage on a leash. And my, oh, wow. fr- and my friend turned to me and he goes, hey man, he's just living his life. You know, you got to respect it. And I was like, I don't know if I have to respect it. <laughs> I accept it. Like, so I think the angle is like, I don't think that's what Aretha was singing about in that song, you know? But I, I, there's more here. Like, they're like, what's, what is respect? Like, yeah. what is, what is yeah. respect? Like, I think there's a difference between tolerance and respect. Yeah. I tolerate it. It's yeah. Fine, but uh, I just think it's funny that like I call my friend up and I say, "You want to go on a walk?" I mean, an entirely different thing than this guy. Yeah, because his friend just walking him. You know, yeah, it's like it's like the it's like the 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 colloquialism. You got to respect that has gotten way out of hand. Way out of hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to respect it. Way too far. Yeah, respect is. I also thought it'd be like funny to do an act out here where you're just like, like I don't see, I don't think I see that guy walking by, and I'm like, hey, dude. Respect, yeah, you know, yeah, something yeah. like that. Because yeah. you know what's funny? Maybe this is maybe this is too far. But when homophobes are like, "How am I supposed to explain that to kids?" I'm like, "Well, that's homophobic." You know what I mean? But when you see a guy on your leash on a leash, you're like, "How am I supposed to explain that?" That is something that's actually hard to explain. <laughs> that is maybe an angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How am I going to explain actually, this? Well, sometimes yeah, yeah. a man has a weird kink, and uh, no, and it's also well, you know, it's also that it's also that thing of like. If you were going to explain that, you'd yeah. probably have to ask the person first, hey, can you explain this to me so that I can explain it to my kids? <laughs> yeah, I, I want to make sure I'm getting this right. <laughs> you get turned on when a man walks you yeah, in public? Yeah. yeah. I wrote this down. I, um, it's kind of a dark thought, but it's like I think people want to believe in something. Yeah. Because I sometimes I think it's because it's, it's hard to come to grips with this concept that like my grandmother, for example – who I loved and respected, she died believing in God. And we can't conclude like, so anyway, my wonderful deceased grandmother was fooled. You know what I mean? Like, we have to be like, no, God's with her, hanging out, swimming laps, eating pies. You know, we can't judge her. We got to be like, whatever she's into. Oh, even like, the, it's like the second she dies, you're like, and scene. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, uh, we don't have to pretend anymore. It's like, it's like a hidden camera show or something. Gotcha. <laughs> there might be something there. I think that's it. That's funny, yeah. That doesn't need much else. That's I think good. that's really and funny. Scene. I could hear that in your voice too. <laughs> that's the fun scene. thing is like, yeah. And scene, we gotta, do we have it? Do we have it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, All right. All right. We're gonna move on. <laughs> There's some of that. There's a nice sure. double entendre to it as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm laughing. We're gonna move on to that one just because the idea of like you love your grandma. Everyone relates to having to play along with your grandma. No, completely. I mean, I remember my grandfather would like play like Hebrew music in the car, and he's like, "Isn't this wonderful?" And you're like, "Yes." I'm like in my head, I'm like, "This stinks." It's yeah, the worst yeah. Fucking music I've ever heard. Yeah. But you love it, so I'm, I'm like, "Yeah, it's great music." <laughs> oh my god, that's really because I love my grandpa. It's really funny. Yeah. The and then I got the I got um this is a cocaine joke. I don't mean to make light of it after after you were telling me about your friend who died I mean, and cocaine. That's the thing is like nothing. Believe me, nothing you say is going to offend me. I did this the other night at the cellar. I go, I was in the, the Greenwich Village, and this guy comes up to me. He goes, hey, buddy, you you look like you need some cocaine. And I go, no <laughs> were, thanks. You were in that shirt? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was probably this outfit. <laughs> I go, no thanks. And he goes, sorry, wrong guy. Apparently, there was a mix-up. Uh, apparently, you look, <laughs> you look like you need cocaine. 
Oh, sorry, wrong guy. Yeah. Damn, yeah. Apparently he thought I was the guy who wanted cocaine, but it turns out I was just a total stranger. Uh, And then I thought, maybe I do need some cocaine. I'm pretty low energy. Anyway, I bought the cocaine and here I am. That's how I ended it the other night. I don't know. I don't know where it's going. I like that it's like, uh, you look like you need cocaine. Oh, wait, wrong guy. And it's like, I like that he's like the least aggressive cocaine pusher. Yes, of very all laid time. back cocaine dealer. Do you need some cocaine? No? Okay, have a great day. Like, you don't see that guy often. My, yeah. You know, it was a funny conversation I had my, with my mom, with my mom of all people once. My mom's 82 years old. One time she said to me, because um, my sleepwalking, she goes, Well, with your sleepwalking, you should never use cocaine. I go, am I having a conversation with my mom about my sleepwalking <laughs> That's and me, me using cocaine? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You should have said that to the guy. You're like, I, I sleepwalk. I sleepwalk, so it's a whole thing. So yeah, 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 exactly. He goes, you're the guy with the with the mom who took, no. That's, uh, it was like my drug talk I had with my mom at like age 35. I swear yeah. to God, like that I'd never talked to her about drugs before ever. I mean, I do look like, I was talking about this joke with Jesse Klein on this podcast and she was like, there is like a, she's like, probably there is a Wall Street version of Mike Birbiglia who uses Coke. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's a pretty good point. I feel like comics, the way we dress, like all of us at the cellar, like we're not the cocaine demo. Yeah, I don't think so. Like all of us, we have like backpacks and shit. They're like, that's not who's doing the Coke. I know. You need a briefcase. (laughs) You need a briefcase. You need a briefcase to be a Cokehead, I feel like. And then I, uh. You have anything else? Let me see what else. I got a bunch of other stuff. I don't know if I got good stuff. Let's see. Um, this is an angle I'm trying to crack. I think I'm close and I can't crack this. Or uh, So I have a whole thing about like, is it guns are the problems or is it mental health? And I say, obviously guns because New Yorkers are all out of their fucking mind and I'm never scared. You yes, know what I mean? Like yes. I'll be on the subway and someone comes on screaming. Like I don't look up for my phone. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like clearly it's a gun. Like you uh, know, even, even if someone came on, even I, they, even if someone opened, fu- even if they came on with a gun, I think I would be like, you better, you better open fire if oh you want God, me to pause this audio book. So funny, you know. So I think about if that. You want all me to the time. pause this audio book? That's so, that, so good. So that so that's that part's hitting. And then I want it further, and then but then I realized I'm like there was a subway shooter, but then I was like, but he didn't really hit anyone, did he? I mean, like he couldn't even hit. He was a bad shooter. Oh, is that true? Did he hit anyone? He, I know he might, he didn't kill anyone. I know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he hit someone. Yeah. But I think my angle is like if that was a midwestern teenager, there'd be 14 dead minimum. But this guy. I think that one of the things I like about your jokes about like guns, mental health, all this stuff is like, actually, like to to our conversation earlier, it's like it just stokes a conversation about this stuff. Oh, thanks. I feel man. like it's like it, it's like that joke. It's a, it's funny, but b, it's like true. So I always have like a few gun things, and I and I have to preface it in cities like to, you know Houston or whatever. I'm like, I know where I am. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. All right, one last one, which is. Uh, when I was a kid, we had like a we had friends who were who were like the rich family that we knew, and the and they had mink coats. And oh this God. is the eighties before we knew that fur came from dead animals. <laughs> so goofy. Mink coats. Mink coats. You get you live next oh, you, to the Sopranos. <laughs> that predates you, I think. Mink. You is, grew up in the eighties. You grew up in the nineties. Yeah, mink is weird. That's like a. I guess that was so. That was like. That's so weird. You just think of it from being like an Al Capone or something. You yes. don't think of it as being that recent. But oh, I guess. yeah, in the 80s. That was and a whole thing. Mink is nice. Oh, yeah. I mean, do people still wear it? No. No, no, it was a whole thing. Because you'll get paint dumped on yeah. you or something. people would dump paint on you. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it is, look, I'm all for eating animals. That is a little showy. <laughs> we end on a thing uh, called Working It Out for a Cause. And I donate to an organization you think does a good job. Uh, okay. And what, you know, whatever organization that charity? You, you like. Charity, yeah. Oh, that's great. Like that. uh, I like City Harvest. I like what Oh, yeah, they do. City Harvest is great. Yeah. Uh, I always give to food banks when I travel around the country, the local food bank. Nice. Um, and City Harvest is amazing. So I'll give to City Harvest. And uh, and we'll put the link to that in the show notes. And uh, thanks for coming on, man. This is, this this is fun a great as hell, talk. Man. Yeah. yeah. Working it out because it's not done. That's going to do it for another episode of Working It Out. You can find Sam Morrill very easily. He's on Instagram at Sam Morrill. That's S-A-M-M-O-R-R-I-L. He's also on TikTok. He is, uh, I actually have to say, like, I love, (laughs) he's such a good joke writer that those clips are really fun to watch. So I would go on Instagram and TikTok, follow him on at Sam Morrill spends a lot of time on writing those jokes and they're beautifully crafted. Working It Out is produced by myself along with Peter Salamone and Joseph Berbiglia, consulting producer Seth Barish, sound and video recording by Chuck Staten with help from Gary Simons, associate producer Mabel Lewis with help from Lucy Jones, sound mix by Shub Saren, supervising engineer Kate Belinsky. As always, a thanks to Jack Antonoff and Bleachers for their music. As always, a special thanks to my wife, the poet, J-Hope Stein. Her book is called Little Astronaut. It's available now at your local bookstore. As always, a special thanks to my daughter, Una, who helped build the original radio fort made of pillows. Thanks most of all to you who are listening. I appreciate all of the little Apple podcast mentions saying what what episode was your favorite. It means a lot. It helps us find more people who might enjoy the show. So please, it goes without saying, tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell your friends again, then double back. Tell your enemies again, because let's face it, we're all busy. We all have a lot going on, and multiple reminders are always helpful. Tell them two or three times. We're working it out. See you next time, everybody.